Uh, my name is Emmanuel, or you can call me E for, for short. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, please join me in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32 in your Bible or in your um, apps and so forth. Genesis 32. We're in a series called the Story of God series. Uh, after today, we're going to pause and we're going to resume the series in January. Uh, but throughout this series, what we're looking at is the idea of, of God establishing his kingdom in the first book of the Bible. Right? God is king. God is Lord. What we see in Genesis is God is beginning to establish his kingdom as we look at the lives of certain people or what, we, what we're calling various episodes. On October 8th is when the series began, and Hunter introduced us in the, uh, in the series, looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. What we see is God making a world that, 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 that is good and wonderful, and in the center of his world, he places his images to reflect him. Uh, these images rebel against God, ushering in their own kingdom, their own story, and Hunter reminded us, hey, which story will you abide in? Because the story you believe and accept is the story that you will live out all the days of your life. The next week looked at the flood story. How the flood is God responding to humanity in their rejection of him as king. But even though God allows the flood to happen, God still recreates. What we see is the, the, the new humans, Noah and his family, repeat the same mistake. Instead of resting in God, they're trying to make the story happen on their own accord. Hunter returned to look at the Tower of Babel, or Tower of Babylon. And what he reminded us was, although God made us as humans to create cities that are, are to be thriving and beautiful, the Tower of Babylon, humans are creating a city to make not God's name great as king, but their own name great. And what God is wanting to do is find humans who will trust in his story, who will trust in his kingdom, and he will make their name great. And we see that in Abraham. Josh Focus on Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, where in this ritual, uh, this ancient covenant ritual, uh, where animals are cut in half, where the two parties are supposed to walk together, Abraham falls asleep, and God alone stands between the pieces, saying, I, God, will fulfill his promises no matter what, which is true about our lives. God is faithful to make sure his promise takes place. Hunter returned, and he uh, focused on the infamous story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hunter reminded us that sin is not simply a personal thing. It's not simply what I do. Sin is a cosmic force that is infiltrated into every aspect of the, the world, the earth, messing it up. And sin is very costly. So if you're flirting with sin, beware that it will take you further than you want to go Amen. and let you stay longer than you want to stay. Amen. Last week, our sister Patty brought us back to Abraham, the most famous story about Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, we're told that Abraham believed God's promise and it was accredited to him as righteousness. In Genesis 22, we see Abraham's faith being played out, being embodied, being lived out as he's willing to sacrifice his one and only son for the Lord. Trusting, as Hebrew will tell us, that even if his son dies, God will still be faithful to bless him and give him descendants. Amen. I love what Patty says. He says, um, the story of Abraham reminds us of Jesus. 
Just as Isaac is Abram's only son, Jesus is the only son of God. But unlike Isaac, Jesus is the lamb that actually died and brought about the blessing for all humanity. Amen. Today we look at the grandson of Abraham, a guy named Jacob. Genesis 32, I'm going to begin reading in verse Sorry, Genesis 20, 32, I'll begin reading in verse 22. The text says this. That night, Jacob got up, took his wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the, J, uh, the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, him being Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered, or Jacob, he answered. Verse 28, and the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. I have three kids, Ambrose, Mela, and now Jason. The craziest one of them all is not Ambrose. It's not Jason. It's the girl, Mela. Mela has what I call spunk, which means uh, to be determined, to, to be um, hard-headed maybe, to be uh, stubborn. The Hebrews call this shutfa. Mela has shutfa. She will do what she wants to do and will not stop until it happens. In fact, when she was about a year and maybe two or three months, I'm in the kitchen making breakfast, over in the dining area, he and Ambrose are, or she and Ambrose are eating. All of a sudden, I hear a cry, and it's Ambrose crying, yelling, Mela, hit me. Now, we told Ambrose, we trained him, hey, don't hit your sister, don't hit anybody, right? Soft hands, gentle hands, all that kind of stuff. But Mela, we're kind of working on her at that time. We're still working on her to this day. <laughs> so I go over to, to Mela. I'm like, Mela, and I'm looking at her. She is mid-strike, about to go for round number two. <laughs> I kid you not. I said, Mela, she stops looks at me, looks at Ambrose, looks at her arm, looks at me, swings back and smacks Ambrose. <laughs> Ambrose starts crying. I kid you not, she gets down from her chair, walks the time by herself. And as she's walking, she's muttering to herself. <laughs> help Ambrose out, help him calm down. I'll go over to Mela. I'm like, Mela, we don't hate our brothers. And I finally ask him, or ask her, did you want to hit Ambrose? 
looks at me and says, yes, and smiled. <laughs> she counted the cost, but she was determined to hit her brother. She has chutzpah. And I would say most of us, if not all of us here, have chutzpah. We have spunk. According to the Pew Research Center, it says Americans are the most determined, stubborn people by far. We want something, we'll do anything to get that thing. We are extremely determined, especially around things that we love, value, and care for. Hutzpah, spunk, is true about our boy Jacob here. He's a man of hutzpah. And from his life, we can discover, we see what it's like to live with hutzpah and what is the result if we remain in our hutzpah. If I describe or sum up the life of Jacob, I would say the life of Jacob is essentially you have an, an irresistible force God's desire to bless him and, 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 and be with him and, and give him prosperity, the irresistible force encountering an object that will not move. And spoiler alert, the object eventually moves, but it takes a while. Jacob is born, and we're told that when he, he and his brother and his mom's womb, they're, they're twins, he and his twin brother, they're, they're wrestling in the womb. And while they're wrestling, God tells his mom, Rebecca, hey, I will bless the younger one, and the old one will serve the younger one. The blessing of Abraham and Isaac will come through the younger one, not the older one. So God decides to bless Jacob before Jacob does anything in the world. This is what grace is. God deciding to give us something that we do not deserve without doing anything about it. By creating us, by sustaining us. By redeeming us, by restoring us, is an act of God's grace. And there's nothing we can do about it. Hence why it's called grace and a blessing. So here's Jacob. Before he's born, he is the one God has chosen to work through. But what happens? He comes out of the womb as a young kid, grasping the heel of his brother, wanting to be great, wanting to have a blessing that's already his. It's because his parents called him Jacob, which means heel grabber. And the rest of his life, Jacob will live that out, going after, pursuing, chasing what he already has. As he grows up, it says one day his brother goes out hunting, comes back, and it just so happens that Jacob is making red stew where his brother can see him. Brother shows up and says, hey, bro, I'm hungry. You got some food for me? Uh, I do, but give me the birthright. Give me the title to be the leader of the family when our father dies. His brother despises his birthright and gives it to Jacob for red soup. What's interesting here is uh, the word Edom, who Esau is also called Edom, is similar to the Greek, the Hebrew word for Adam, which means human. So what we have here is a human, Edom or Esau, being deceived not by a serpent, but his own brother. So Jacob is becoming a deceiver to grasp what he already has. Time goes on, and we're told that eventually Isaac wants to bless the oldest son before he, he dies. 
His mom, Rebecca, hears about this and tells Jacob, hey, I want you to go and, and deceive your brother or your father, and I will help you out. And Jacob responds, mom, I don't want to do this. I might get cursed. And his mom says, let the curse be on me. Yeah. Side note, from this point on, Rebecca is never heard about again. Amen. In fact, she's the only matriarch whose death is not reported. Her nurse is reported in 35, but not Rebecca. Jacob complies. He goes in, deceives his father, and receives the blessing for his own. The result of that is running away from home. Never sees his mom again. Only encounters his father when he's about to pass away. As he's running away, we're told in chapter 28, verse 11, uh, God meets him at a certain place. The Hebrew here is in the middle of nowhere, in the desert where nothing lives, nothing resides. God meets him there, and through a dream, God affirms the blessing that God had given him when he was a young seed in his mom's womb. What we're seeing here is a guy who God has already blessed him, but he's pursuing, he's chasing after what is already his. And we're told here that he gets to, he gets to experience God in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. blessing, pursuit of the blessing, but God continues to bless them. Eventually, he arrives at his uncle's house, and there there's a whole drama that happens. He has two wives, works 14 years, has about 13 kids eventually, gains a bunch of wealth by tricking his uncle. Eventually, he leaves and goes back home. Chapter 32 picks us up where he's on his way back home. The first verse of 32 says, as he's on his way back home, God's angel meets him. And the idea here is God meets him here to bless him, to reaffirm again, the blessing is yours. I will be with you. I will protect you. I'm your guy, Jacob. Trust in me. And you would think after his whole entire life of God blessing him over and over and over again, when he does not deserve it, you would think Jacob would hear and be obedient to the Lord. He doesn't. His hutfah, his spunk, remains. We're told that uh, in, in verse uh, 22, uh, he sends people, possessions ahead to see his brother Esau in order to appease his brother. When it does not work, verse 7 tells us, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought to himself, if Esau attacks one group, the other group will what? Escape. And we discover later on that he himself is by himself. If the first two group dies, maybe he will escape. He's still looking out for himself. In verse 9, he has this prayer. Look at that prayer. How many times do you see the word me? Me, 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 me. When you are a person of chutzpah, you most likely think about yourself, if not always. I walk, I walk into a room. I'm looking for number one. I want to find people who are like me. I've been trained. I've been taught to, to do this, to care for myself, look out for myself. But God's kingdom is opposed to that. What we're doing here at Providence is opposed to that. 
I love where Ezra shared about how a group of villains wailing, caring for each other. That is going against what our society teaches us. Yes. You made it across the border. You, you made it here in the States. Care for yourself. But they're saying, no, we're going to care for others as well. Amen. That is what God's kingdom is about. Because when I care about myself, eventually I end up alone. Right. And here's Jacob in verse 20, 21. Family's gone. He's by himself. But again, God does not give up on people who have chutzpah. We're told that a man appears to wrestle with Jacob. Now, theologically, this man is none other than the pre-incarnate son. This is Jesus before his incarnation. So here's God appearing to wrestle with Jacob. What this tells us is God is not opposed to wrestling with humans. God is not opposed to wrestling with you. And this wrestling is not this fun, like me and my kids wrestling in, 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 on, on the couch. This wrestling is aggressive because somebody will leave here with a limp. So God meets with Jacob, and they begin to wrestle. You see, God will meet you where you're at. God will meet you in your struggle. Why does God wrestle with Jacob? All of his life, Jacob had been wrestling, trying to grab at something. So God shows up to grab his attention. Amen. So I ask us, what, what sin are you struggling with? What good thing are you flirting with that God says it's not for you? Because whatever it is, God will meet you there to redeem that thing. You struggle with pride, God will wrestle with you with your pride. You struggle with lust, God will tackle your lust. Amen. You struggle with workaholism, God will let a smack down on your busyness. You struggle with identity, God will meet you there and transform you. You struggle with doubt, God will encounter you in the moment of your doubt. There's a saying that says that God cannot be around messy things. Read the scriptures. That is not true. Amen. The first human sin, where is God? Not away from them. He comes walking towards them. God becomes flesh, becomes one of us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. God will interject into our busy, messy, uh, terrible, prideful, uh, shoots for life to redeem us even if it means wrestling with us. Now, just as God is not opposed to wrestling with us, he is not opposed to letting us win a match or two. Now, why do I say that? We're told here the man in verse 25 could not overpower Jacob. Jacob is winning. Now, if this is God, we shouldn't think that Jacob is winning because he's stronger than God. That is ludicrous. What's happening here is the game of chess. Who, who plays chess in here? Anybody chess players in here? Okay, a few of you guys. Okay, I'm over checkers guy. Checkers, checkers, okay. Uh, I've only played chess maybe two or three times, but I've heard in the game of chess, you may sacrifice the pawn for what? Okay, no one, okay. For a greater peace. 
the queen or the king. You may give up the pawn to capture something else. In the game of your life, God at times will let you win for a bigger peace elsewhere. Amen. Again, what is that thing that you're grasping, that you're pursuing for? And you seem like you're doing so well. You're successful. Could God be saying, I'm going to let you have this right now. It might appear that you're overpowering me, but eventually God will have his way. We cannot overpower God, but sometimes God will let us win a small piece. He's playing the bigger game, the long haul. And eventually God himself will win. And look what happens next. The same verse, 25, tells us, when the man couldn't overpower him, Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. There's some theologians who will say that what happens here is God strikes Jacob in the groin area. Why is that? The instructions to the first human in Genesis 1 verse 27 was to be fruitful and what? How do you multiply? You have lots of kids and babies. Thank you. That same promise was told Abraham, I will give you land, seed, and I will bless you. But how will you have this land without people? You got to have kids. Jacob here, throughout his whole life, has that blessing, steals that blessing, and he has how many kids? 13 kids, 12 sons and a daughter. He is trying to make the blessing happen by his own power and might. What we see happen here, God says, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to injure you so bad that you will no longer have any kids. So that you rely upon me. After this, Jacob does not have any more kids. Because God hit him so hard that his hip socket came out of place. God said enough is enough. God humbled him. There's that story in Daniel. I met Daniel today, by the way. Uh, Daniel chapter 4. There's King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a great king over Babylon. Has all the empires of the world. Looked to him as a supreme king. We're told that one day he's overlooking his whole kingdom. Saying, look what I've done. Look how great and powerful I am. Guess what happens? The next scene, he's eating grass with the wild animals. God humbled him. It may seem like in your life, the things are going well. That the sin, the messy thing, the addiction you have, you're, you're, you're conquering it on your own. If we don't let go, God will humble us. God will humble us. And when he does, we'll go on limping. Clutching onto what you already have, God's blessing in your life. God's love for you. When you are pursuing that thing, it cripples you. When we are striving after God has already, what God has already given us, when we're pursuing and chasing after things that God knows are not his ideal for us, what ends up happening is we leave crippled. Amen. And if God doesn't cripple us, he will allow those things to cripple us eventually. 
And God does this because he desires us to let go. Stop grabbing. Stop clutching. Let go of Yeshua's fault. Instead, put your trust in him. Amen. And I would argue trust here is not necessarily passive. It, it's active. It's a different type of grabbing. If the first grabbing, the first clutching is, is grasping for control, a lack of trust, the second type of grabbing is grasping and clutching as if this thing is your only hope. I'm not a hiker because I'm afraid of heights, and it's just hard to, to hike. Uh, but I know some people who are, are not only hikers, but they'll, they'll do bouldering climbs, you know, climb mountains or whatever. If you're climbing or hanging on, uh, on a cliff, for example, or a mountain, you're not hanging there trying to control the mountain. You're hanging for dear life. This mountain, this cliff, this piece of ground is your only hope or you may die. That's the kind of clutching we're talking about here. It's the kind of question that says, hey, God, I'm going to surrender to you as king because you're my only hope. I'm going to allow you to take my, my chutzpah, to take my determination, and use it for your glory Amen. and for our good. And because you're my only hope, I'll, instead of pursuing these things that cannot give me what I want, I will pursue you and surrender to you because all I have already is in Christ Jesus. Amen. I already have, have it all. There's no need to pursue after things that I already have. A couple of nights ago, my wife and I are kind of flipping through Netflix, and there's a documentary on Sylvester Stallone, you know, Rambo slash Rocky. I haven't seen it yet, but in the trailer, he makes a comment where he says, I pursued this, this, this acting business, became a producer, became very successful. But, but then he says, I lost it all, referring to his family. And he asked the question, if I went back, would I do it all over again? He says, no. He already had family. He already had what he really wanted. But he thought he could get it somewhere else. We already have all that we need in Christ Jesus. There's no need to pursue. There's no need to have who's for over other things. Let go and trust the Lord. My favorite quote is by a guy named uh, Abraham Kuyper, where he says, there's not, a, there's not a square inch in the whole universe in which God does not declare mine. The idea here is God is sovereign as king over all things. Over all things. Why should we trust him? Because he's sovereign. He's king. The story of Jacob is you see people messing things up. Jacob messing things up over and over again. His father, Isaac, his grandfather, uh, Noah, and the first humans messing things up. But over and over and over again, God proves to be faithful again and again and again. The book of Genesis ends with this, this phrase. What you intended for bad, humans, God intended for good. In the mess of our life, God is working as a sovereign king. So what should be a response? Trust him. Instead of clutching to, to grasp and, and, and to master who God is, clutch unto him Amen. as the only hope that we have. 
Because when we do so, we are cured. We're healed. We're restored. Why do I say that? Here's Jacob wrestling the man. Not letting go. Trying to control God. Have God do what he wants God to do. Eventually, God injures him. Now, I don't know about you. If I get punched anywhere in the midsection, I'm still holding on to what punched me. My holding on is not for control, but for hope, for dear life. Here's Jacob gets punched by God. He's still holding on to God, but it's not out of control, but saying, you're my only hope. You're all that I have left. You've messed me up. The blessing can't happen by my own control. I'm trusting in you as my only hope. A different type of clutching. A different type of grabbing. Letting go of your chutzpah and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. That you will make things right as the sovereign king. That, Lord, I may trust you. Change my identity. Jacob's parents named them heel grabber, trickster, deceiver. His heavenly father named them overcomer. When we trust in the Lord, no longer will you be about this thing or be this kind of person or remain where you are. You are now an overcomer. Let go and live out who God says you are. At this time, the music team will come up. In your life, if you are a person who has spunk or who has chutzpah, can you say, Lord, you're sovereign, you're working I will surrender my chutzpah, my determination to you and let you do with it as you see fit. To direct it in the right direction. Can we say we're going to follow after the king's son, Jesus, who although he had all authority, all power, he didn't grasp for that. He didn't clutch for that. Rather, he let go made himself nothing for us. And in the process, the the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was given to all humanity. Not because he grabbed on, but because he let go. And he trusted his father. So what thing do you have chutzpah, determination, Is it more control? Are you a person who says, I wrestle, I struggle with with fear, with, with shame? Do you assume things? Are you all about yourself and your goals and your dream that you're pursuing? What is it? Can you let go of those things? Stop clutching those things. Stop grabbing those things and grab onto Jesus. I preach this not as someone who's mastered this, but 
but as someone who is still struggling with this. About two years ago, I got a sense. It wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't through reading. It's just a sense that I got in my gut or, or, or my mind where God was saying, you've played basketball for two decades. You're still working to be great at basketball for what reason we don't know. I remember God saying to me, why don't you stop focusing on basketball and focus more time on your family, teaching job, being a pastor, a preacher, your PhD. Sitting the Lord said, I'm like, you know what? Eh, maybe. Last summer, summer 2022, my Achilles started hurting. For a whole month, which is crazy, no basketball. Was that God saying, bro, watch out? I recovered. And fall 2022, picked up back, back, back at basketball, became good again for, for how, however old I was. Doing really well, dunking the ball still, believe it or not. Last January, my left knee, my strongest leg, all of a sudden experienced pain. I've yet to recover even to now. So I haven't mastered this. I'm sure wrestling with God. Hey, God, hey, hey, hey. Can I do all of it? So those of us who are relentless, who pursue things and don't stop because we're so determined, know that greatness is found in Christ, not in what you pursue. To those who want to earn something from God and others. Let me tell you this. God as king has already affirmed his love for you. Hear me well. We talk about God loving us. God not only loves us, he also likes us. Right? You can love someone unconditionally. If you like them, you want to spend time with them. God wants to spend time with you. Those who struggle with shame, fear, addiction, trying to overcome those things. God says you're an overcomer in him. So grasp unto him. We have great programs, great resources. Yes, use them, be about all of them, but your ultimate trust and hope is in Christ and cling on to Christ. To those of us who may say, I'm trying to earn God's grace. I'm trying to earn God's favor by doing these things, by becoming this thing, by, by, by reading the Bible more and praying more. God the King has already given you salvation. Just receive what he's given you. Jacob pursued, pursued, pursued what already was his. What he needed to do, what we need to do, is let go. Grab onto the King of Kings who's already given us the blessing and the grace. Let's pray. Father, help us as those who have shutfa, as those who, who are determined and have spunk. Lord, help us to let go. Holy Spirit, at times we cannot do it because we want to keep grasping, soften our grasp 
to let go of what's already ours and to grab on to you. Because you, Lord, do not disappoint. You're faithful over and over and over again. In a second, we're going to worship. At any point, you say, hey, I need prayer because I'm holding on to things that I know God wants me to let go. It could be a great and a good thing. That's not what God has for you. You say, I need help letting go. People will be up here, a prayer team will be up here to pray with you because they care and love you guys. I'd ask you to come up and pray. You may say, I've heard this message here, I'm not a follower of Christ, but I want to be, or I'm curious. I invite you to come up and pray as well. Let's worship. Thank you.